New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thank you for listening in. We are partway through our Book of Acts series. We are studying the nature of the early church and what does it mean for us. We, we hope that this message equips you, it blesses you, and it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. You know how you came to the right service because at the first service, Dwayne still took his hat off when he came up on stage. But this service... We're keeping it real, right, Dwayne? Let's go. That's how you know you're at the right service. Uh, but welcome to church, guys. My name is Marius. My wife, Jess, and I, we get to be part of this community as well and uh, serve alongside you guys and just uh, follow off the Christ with all we have together. And uh, I'm excited to spend some time together with you in continuation of our Acts series. We've been doing Acts for a good 10 weeks now. So for those of you guys that are like, man, this is a lot. We're almost to the finish line. We're going to do one more today and I think one more next week. And then we should have it uh, mostly covered. Um, but as you guys know, and Pastor Bronson talks about this all the time, the message of the book of Acts is that God has filled his people with his spirit and has sent us as his ambassadors to every corner of the earth to spread his message of the kingdom for the redemption and the renewal of the world he so desperately loves. That's what the heartbeat of the book of Acts is all about. And today, as we dig deeper, and we're going to be in chapter 21, uh, we're going to find even more that this is truly evidence in this passage as well. And the thesis for this morning that we're going to work through together is when the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their stories will begin to look like his story, which is beautiful, but also comes with a cost. And so we're going to pack together today that as Paul modeled this for us, we as well can change our story that we have right now and chase after Jesus, and his, our story becomes more and more like Jesus' story. The sermon title today would be The Imitation, The Imitation, if you want to take notes. And last week, we, Pastor Bronson talked about how Paul did some major damage in the city of Ephesus. We talked about how the Christ-loving community in Ephesus grew and grew, and it grew to an extent where it had an economic impact on the city that they were living in. And uh, we talked about how Paul handled the situation and how us as Christ-following community we can make an impact in the, in the cities around us, in the communities that we're in, in the neighborhoods that we're in. And today we want to take a furthermore look into Acts series and take a closer look at as Paul is kind of coming to the end of his, his he's coming close to his final years of impact. We'll see him arrive today in Jerusalem, and then he'll, uh, he'll be trialed there, and he'll be shipped off to Rome, where, he, where he's going to spend his last breath there. So we're getting close to the end of Paul, and I think as this is nearing, we can really unpack some cool things for us today. So the scripture we're about to read in, 20, in the 21st chapter, um, we're gonna, I'm going to paraphrase the first part, and then we're going to jump in right there in the middle of it. The first part, he basically arrives to Jerusalem from his third missionary journey. So as he's been going around, planting churches, supporting churches, coming back to visit, he's made his third time all the way around, and he's coming back to Jerusalem. He's been converting Gentiles and Jews all over the Mediterranean area in different cities and countries and all that stuff. Now, the Jewish leaders... In all these cities, in all the communities, they were not very happy with Paul. We have to know that the Jewish leaders felt attacked. They felt like Paul was taking away their old traditions. He was taking away their people. He was spreading a message of Jesus that they didn't agree with. So they were not particularly happy with him. And Jerusalem is kind of like the, the capital of the Jewish leadership. This is where the, the heart of it was. And as he, as he arrives in Jerusalem, he actually meets up with, uh, with the leaders of the Christian church there. Um, so he meets up with the 
Jewish converts, and he tells the Jewish converts about the Gentile converts, the church that he started that he's been talking to, and uh, um, even the, the, he brings an offering of what the, uh, they collected overseas on so different places to bring to Jerusalem to the church over there. And it's really a nice picture. It's a peaceful picture of almost a reconciliation between the old traditions that the Jewish believers hold on to, hold on to and the Gentiles, the new converts. They were new to the faith and were part of the, of the family now. But uh, we're about to read. Things get a little bit more spicy, a little more interesting really fast in Jerusalem. So let's see. Um, before we jump in, the very first, last part before this, this text right now is that Paul started a cleansing process. And it's almost like Paul did like he threw the Jewish... Uh, based believers a bone. Say, hey, I know you like your traditions. Let me part, be part of a cleansing ritual for you guys just to kind of mend the, uh, the, the rough edges right now a little bit. So he starts this cleansing uh, ritual as sign of good faith for the Jewish-based Christians, which, again, they've been really on Paul's case for being too less traditional and not holding on to the old values and all that stuff. But let's see what happens as we dive into Acts 21, verse 27. Uh, if you all don't mind, let's stand up for the reading of God's word, and we're going to unpack this in just a second. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought the Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time together that we can uh, come together, learn from you, learn about how uh, your followers are changing the world left and right and how we as well can do the same. Uh, this morning we ask you impact us, that you teach us, that you uh, just uh, stir something up in us to be changed forever from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, guys. Um, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I have a question. Have you ever been to a wedding where they had like the old school, like, bride side and groom side thing like you sit well like you sit with who you came with almost in a way like this service right now it feels like this side is like everybody so this is like the, the guy who has all the friends right here <laughs> it's over there and over here is like kind of spare so so we're kind of unbalanced but i still love you guys yeah yeah no we're coming over here too we're good we're good it's just i no 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 we, we stay put stay put i just i, I saw it i was like man this side here y'all y'all stacked yeah okay yeah Come on, this guy, this side, come on. Yeah, all right, all right. The middle, y'all just stay here. Y'all good, middle. Don't worry about y'all. Y'all, growing up, uh, I was actually a Royal Ranger. Anybody know what the Royal Ranger is? Yeah, a few? Yeah, okay. Anybody knows, who else knows what the Royal Ranger is? 
Nobody besides, okay, wow. All right, this is great. So Royal Ranger, you might think is a Power Ranger, but it's not. It's not a Power Ranger. Royal Rangers actually were like the Boy Scout arm of the Assembly of God. Is that, did you confirm? Okay, we can confirm this. Now, somehow, this Boy Scout kind of program from Assembly of God made it all the way over to Germany, and we had like 400 chapters there. So my church was part of that, and we, we grew up hiking around, camping, surviving, and my favorite time was always the survival part of, you know, you get out there in the woods, just, just you by yourself, and you got to make it out somehow. And uh, that was my favorite part. So clearly, I had a favorite hero growing up. His name was Bear Grylls. Anybody know Bear Grylls? Who knows Bear Okay, those, those who just laugh, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, Bear Grylls is this guy. <laughs> he, he's crazy. So he wants to get dropped off in the most remote places in the world and be dropped off with nothing just so he can prove a point that he can survive. So if you look at some of his stuff, uh, for those of you who have a, a good stomach that can handle some, some weird stuff, watch some of the test, 10 best things he's ever done. It's absolutely wild. Uh, but he's my hero, so I want to become like him. So, you know, I was ready to survive like him, to conquer like him. I didn't really want to eat the elephant poo, but if I had to, I would. Like, I was, I was ready to survive. It's, it's very moist. You get water out of it. Just, just it's telling you, it's very grills. It's, it's tips and tricks. Uh, but I was willing to do all that. But, I was, but it would literally, when I was out there camping, I would pack my backpack like how he would pack it maybe or like want to have the equipment that he had to really maximize my survival skills. And I wanted to become more and more like Bear Grylls. And I think we all have heroes. We have people in our lives that we want to imitate or become like. Right? We all want to be, we maybe grew up with somebody that we looked up to a role model and we started to do things that they would do and we wanted to imitate, pe- imitate people of how they are and what we can learn from them. And today's question we have to ask is, why is Jesus worthy of our imitation? So why do we want to become like Jesus? And I don't know if you remember the what would Jesus do bracelets, WWJD, right? We all kind of had them. Um, I loved them, uh, but it kind of died down. And I think the reason why this was such a great thing, because it was really reminding us wherever we went, that what would Jesus do? It would ask us in our schools when we were it, hey, what would Jesus do? How would he respond to this bullying? Or if we're at work, it would remind us, how can I be, speak life even though all, all people around me are just talking uh, crazy talk. And it would help us remind, but it kind of became this cliche. It almost became like this warning sign to non-believers. I mean, you see somebody with this bracelet, like you're like, ah, I'm not talking to this guy. He's going to be all religious, and he's going to tell me all about, you know, I don't know, this conference and, and this service. But I think we need to recapture the heart of what was really going on with what would Jesus do. So today we're going to unpack of who Jesus was, but also how does that lived out in our actions going to look like when we really do do what Jesus would do. Now, Jesus was loving. He was faithful. He was fierce. He was a servant. He, Jesus stooped down to help the lowly, and Jesus counseled with the kings. Jesus knew how to pray. Jesus knew how to party. He is the ultimate picture of what a human can be. And how do we do that? How do we become like Jesus? It always starts with being with Jesus. It always has to start with being with Jesus. And we're going to talk about in the, in, the, in the new year, we're going to talk about our spiritual practice series. We're going to talk about to give you guys some frameworks of how do you actually be with Jesus. But once we are with Jesus, this is when we can see the change. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, then go out and do what Jesus would do. That's our principle we're going to unpack today, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then go out and do what Jesus would do. But let's see how Paul models this for us in his pursuit of imitation of Jesus in this text that we're looking at. The first point, if you're taking notes, is we must be willing to follow Jesus no matter what. We must be willing to follow Jesus no matter what. 
And to go back to this, we're going to really quickly jump into Acts 20. If you want to jump over there, Acts 20, verse 22 to 24. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. So this is Paul talking. Paul is giving a few chapters before where we're at today. He's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he's already, this is already in his mind. We're already going there. It's, it's happening. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, ex- except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul is fully aware of what's coming in Jerusalem. He knows that he's, again, his teachings in all the cities and all the communities has literally made everybody mad at him. Think about the Roman uh, soldiers. They're, they're always sent to these cities to keep the peace, to, to keep uh, eruption and, and crazy things happening to a minimum. That was his goal. But Paul will bring economic problems. He will bring religious problems in the synagogues. He would literally go anywhere, and it seems like stuff would go down, right? So that's the guy who he is, and he knows when I go to Jerusalem, to the, to the main capital, to the, to the place where it all happened, that's just gonna go, it's going to be a problem there for him. But regardless of that, knowing what would, what would come, what would happen, he still chose to go. Doesn't that sound similar to Jesus? Knowing what's going to come, the cup that's coming his way, but not passing it on, but actually being willing to obey and to do what needs to be done. And I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where everybody knew something that you didn't? So for me, one situation was uh, we had a, a Eric got married at some point a few years back, and we had a little bachelor lunch together at lunch, and uh, we started talking about the milk gallon challenge. Have you ever, anybody heard of that? So the challenge is to drink a whole gallon of milk in an hour, and uh, then you you win the challenge. So some people started putting some money on the table. So obviously I had to do it. So I, I said yes, sign me up. We got the we got the ga- gallon of, of milk. And I kind of marked off, like, every 10 minutes where I had to be. So, okay, first 10, you know, I had to be here, here, here. And I started chugging. I mean, I, I drank, and it, it was good. It was going so well, guys. About, I feel like I was ahead of schedule in the first 30 minutes. But then as, like, the second half kind of set in, it just got slower and slower. Let's just say it. It got harder and harder. And, you know, everybody was like, this, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to make it. It's, it's impossible. I was like, oh, I can do it. So I kept drinking, kept drinking, and the part that I just forgot about is that right before I started the challenge, I actually had three bowls of chili, uh, I had like two cans of Coke, I had, I think, three slices of cheesecake, and uh, I, was already ha- I, already, I already had a good base in me, right? But what I didn't, what I didn't even think about is that there's this thing, but if, co- if a Coke and milk comes together, it creates this nice curdling that was kind of created in my stomach, and it was, something was forming in me that I couldn't even control anymore. <laughs> So at about 45, 50 minutes in, I had to go to the closest trash can, and I threw up like crazy. Now, somebody has a slow motion video of this somewhere. So if you ask the right people, they can actually show you that it was going, going down bad. But that was, I knew, everybody knew it was not going to work. Uh, I should have probably listened to them. But uh, this scenario is different, right, with Paul? Because Paul, he actually does know what's coming. And that's where I think we got to remember that Paul didn't just accidentally ended up in Jerusalem, didn't have a clue what's going to happen, but it's actually kind of like Jesus where Paul knew exactly what was waiting for him. Paul knew exactly that he's going to face imprisonment, physical damage, that he was going to be uh, um, yelled at and to be uh, in, 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 in a mess, in a really deep mess in Jerusalem. But he still went. 
And that's what we want to talk about today. Paul was willing to follow Jesus no matter what. And the no matter what part comes all about if you know what's coming, what's going to happen when you make a bold stand for Jesus, if you tell your friend community about what you, what your faith and you know it's going to go bad, that's when we talk about that you follow Jesus no matter what. And I wonder at times what's stopping you to do that. And I want to have you take a second to just kind of think about your life of what is stopping you to really follow Jesus no matter what, to be wholeheartedly committed to him and to follow after what he has for you. And in this first point, I want you to think about the circumstances in your life. I don't really want to talk about the people yet because we're about to talk about the people and their opinions. But in the first point, I want you to think about your life, of your circumstances. Are you where you wanted to be now in your life? Maybe you're not as far as you wanted. Maybe this is your first time back at church and you've, you're finally back. And you're like, man, truly I can't, do, I can't follow Jesus now anymore. But I want you to, rem to remember that we must follow Jesus no matter what. And this is what Paul modeled for us. Let's go on to point number two. We must love God's mission more than other people's opinion. This is a good one right here because we must love God's mission more than other people's opinions. In life, we love to listen to other people's opinions because it makes us feel like we please other people and we get to, we, we accept it and we're part of the process. But we have to remember that we have to value and love God's mission more than other people's opinions. Let's jump to Acts 21, verse 29 to 32. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed, basically they, they, they assumed, and it didn't work out for them, but you know, that, that's how assuming goes. We know that part. Uh, that Paul had brought him into the temple. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. What this is saying here basically is the doors were slammed. Anybody grown up and the doors were slammed, you know it was, it was, it was, it was about to go down, right? That's what we're looking at. We, the, the, the gates were literally slammed closed. They dragged him outside, and they're furious. And this is what it says. And as they were seeking to kill him, seeking to, they, didn't play, they didn't play hide and seek here with Paul. This means they were starting to beat him up. They were actually, they're beating him up with the intent to finish the job today. That's the severity of what's happening right outside of God's temple in Jerusalem. But word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Okay, we're going to stop again. I know we're doing a lot of stopping, but we're going to take our time. Confusion. Last week, uh, Pastor Bronson talked about confusion as well. He talked about how there was confusion in, in Ephesus, and people jumped on a, on, a, on a bandwagon. They had no clue what was even happening. And the same thing here, I want, just to, I want to take us today and take some time to really think about this moment. So we're in the, in the Jerusalem temple, and they, they're seizing Paul, they're dragging him outside, they're, they're shutting the doors on him, and then you've got to imagine more and more people start to come around and saying, what's, what's happening here? You know, why are we beating this guy up? Surely they has done something wrong. You know, it, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, I'm sure he deserved it. He probably did something really bad, you know? But again, the basis of this was an assumption. But it was confusion. And he at once, this is the... This is the uh, um, um, the centurion that was coming down. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the tribune and, and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So at this point, Paul has been in Jerusalem for eight days. Have you ever gone somewhere for eight days and the whole city afterwards got mad at you? Anybody? Blake, I feel like you could maybe do it, but uh, besides Blake, I, I don't know, right? Only eight days in the whole city and the whole city wants to beat you up. That's how Paul, that's where Paul is right now in this moment. 
And uh, the reason why this escalated so quickly is two things. The first accusation that they're having is that Paul was teaching in the Jewish synagogues about the way of Jesus, right? And we know this to be factual because he does it everywhere he went. He was talk to the Jewish community and say, hey, guys, the Messiah is here. You can also follow his ways as well. The second accusation the, 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 that he was allegedly brought a Gentile past the, uh, the barrier in the temple that Gentiles couldn't pass. So imagine the temple is basically like, a, like an onion layered where there's different like courts. And then there's a court in the, in the layer that is the Gentile's court. That you can go to as a Gentile, you can go to that level, but you couldn't go further in. There's actually a wall, four and a half feet tall wall all around that court that says that the foreigners and Gentiles are not welcome past that point. And they assumed that Paul had taken this man from Ephesus, a Gentile, and passed him through that barrier and got him into the inner side of the court and therefore defiled the, the temple. So they were furious. But these people, they cared so much about their opinions, about the, their traditions and their ways of doing things, like how it always used to be, that they were even prepared to inflict physical damage on Paul because he broke one of their rules, one of their opinions, one of their thought patterns. And just like Jesus, he did the same thing because Paul was prepared to stand firm against other people's opinions because he loved God's mission, right? So that's what Paul learned from Jesus. And I want, I want us to check out this first half. We're going to do two parts of this quote. The first part is right here from John Stott. He says, both Jesus and Paul were rejected by their own people. We just read that. Uh, arrested without cause. That's, we're in the process of, of reading that as well. And imprisoned. We're unjustly accused and deliberately misrepresented by false witnesses. We're slapped in the face in court and we're, hap we're the hapless victims of secret Jewish plots. So once uh, today, we can't actually cover all of that, but I want you, encourage you guys to read the rest of the chapters until the shipwreck, because that's what we're going to cover next Sunday. And you'll, in those, as you read 22, 23, 24, you'll really see the similarities between Jesus and Paul. And this is just the first one, is that the people, they rejected him. They, his own people rejected Paul, um, just like Jesus did. But Paul was committed to a mission, despite other people's opinions. He had one mission, and it was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, all throughout the Roman Empire at the time. Nothing could, could deter Paul from that mission. Why? Because it was God's mission. That's why we have to value God's mission more than other people's opinions. It was Paul's dedication to the God's mission that got him persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, and eventually put on trial. But Paul's life shouldn't shock us because he's modeling, he's imitating Jesus in this process. And this is, how, this is what Jesus says. I'm going to read you a few, few spots of where Jesus talks about God's mission over personal preferences. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 4, 34. But the testimony which I, gave, which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it's day. Night is coming where no one can work. So Paul understood that while he has the chance on earth to live and chase after God's mission, that he would do so because he knew there's going to be a time, the night in this verse, that you cannot do the work anymore. We have set on this earth with a purpose, with a mission, with God gave us something to do, and we have to chase after it while we still can. In comparison to the eternal life, this is a tiny spectrum of time that we have on earth to really impact others and to chase after what God has for us. Jesus was committed to God's mission, 
And that is what eventually got him in trouble. And the second part, the second point of this, today's message is all about the people in your life. And I want you to take a moment for a second and think about whose opinion do you value the most in your life, right? It could be the spouse, it could be parents, close friends, best friends. But people's opinions in our lives are the easiest way for us to deter from God's mission in our lives. So maybe I want to think, think about your, your upbringing. Maybe at some point you felt like God was giving you a, a mission or something to do, a people group to love on. And over time, people have said, well, you're not qualified. Well, you couldn't really help them anyways. You pro- if you've seen your life, you can't like, be a role model to others. And our opinions that people give us to, to deter us from what God has placed in our lives. Are you so committed to God's mission of saving, restoring, renewing, that people are moved by you, not vice versa? Don't let people move you, don't let people's opinion move you away from God's mission, but your mission to God, for, for God's mission should be drawing people into you. Or are you swayed and crushed by man's opinion that you just listen to whatever everyone's, everyone says about your life, that, that you remain an, an, that you remain ineffective in the kingdom of God. We have to evaluate our opinions in our lives that we let speak to us. Point three, we must find ourselves in our received identity, not our achieved identity. Acts 21, 33, 36. Let's read this together. The tribune com- uh, then the tribune come up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. As he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came up, when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Now, I really want to take a moment, and I want you to kind of focus in for a second. Give me, give me four minutes. Of, I really want us to really picture us at the scene. So I want us to really think about what just happened. So we're in Jerusalem, right? We, we've, we've heard about Jerusalem in the Bible before. It's, a lot's ha- lot happened there. And Paul just got kicked out of the temple, and he's out in the street getting beaten up so bad that the Roman soldiers have to come in, swoop him up, almost probably safeguard him from the, from the angry mob, and they guide him through the streets all the way to the Roman barracks. So they, that way, finally, the tribune can figure out what's even going on because there's so confusion going on. Now, as we see this this mob moving towards the barracks, the, the, the mob keeps yelling, away with him, away with him. A mob of angry Jewish people following the Roman soldiers as they carry away a beaten man, yelling away with him. Sounds familiar again, right? The same city, Jesus, 30 years before. So this must have been the most gratifying words in Paul's ears. Because... 30 years before, Jesus taught in the same temple that Paul just got kicked out of. Jesus was carried through the same streets, protected by the Roman soldiers, while the angry mob chasing Jesus down as well, away with him. 30 years after Jesus started to usher in a new kingdom by obeying God's will, God's mission over personal preference, and now Paul, away with him. About 30 years before, the same people yelled to the Roman oppressors about Jesus. Now, the same people actually means the same people at times. Think about it. 
30 years before that, if you're a young guy when Jesus was being crucified, you most likely would have been 30 years later, a little older guy, but you've been around. And the same people would yell the same things about Jesus and Paul away with them. The Greek word here is iro. Some of the definitions are to take away, to remove, to destroy, to kill. The same word was used by John in his recollection of Jesus. John 19, 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him, Pilate said to them. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Let's look back at the two points that John Stott makes to complete the comparison between Paul and Jesus. Both Jesus and Paul heard the terrifying noise of a frenzied mob screaming, get rid of him. And we're subjected to a series of five trials. We notice about Jesus, his five trials. As you read the next few chapters, you'll see about Paul. He, gets, he has five trials as well. And historians would even agree that Paul was most likely in Jerusalem himself when Jesus was being crucified. Right? So we know that Paul was studying under a rabbi who was in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus was doing his ministry. So... Again, let's, let's see if we can picture the moment. Paul, he might have himself yelled his words away with him about Jesus. This is not factual. This is conjecture. But he, he might have. And now the people are yelling that to him. What a redemptive moment for, for Paul. Paul himself is the embodied gospel message. Jesus changed everything for Paul, even his name. That's how much he was transformed to his, to his core and even his name. Before Jesus, Paul was striving and climbing the career ladder, chasing a legalistic charge to kill all of those practicing the way of Jesus. But Jesus came to walk this earth, live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins and our transgression, and he made an undeserved sinners of us. He made a way for us to be close to God once again. And he made a way for us to be close to him and to have eternal life together. But he didn't even stop there. He sent us the Holy Spirit to start changing us to the core of who we are. It should change us to the extent to where people would, at best, call us a different name. That's how much we should change because we're not ourselves anymore. We, just, we don't achieve our identity anymore. We receive it from Jesus. That's the story of Paul. And I wonder at times, do we want to have that redemptive moment in our lives? Think about Paul. He literally went the opposite. After Jesus was crucified, he started chasing people that believed in Jesus and killed them. And then he, he was saved. He turned his life around. He was transformed. And every day from that point on, he was becoming more and more like Jesus. To the point where 30 years later, we have Paul once killing, killing people, to being in the very position of killing the ones that are, facing, that, are, that are going after Jesus. And now he's the one that's being beaten half to death, that's being carried away, that's being on trial to follow Jesus. Paul stood trial like Jesus because he was transformed into the very design God had in mind for his creation. A creation to be faith-filled, life-speaking, and fully devoted follower of Christ. But Jesus is offering the same transformation to you right now. For the person here, if, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not part of this process yet of the transformation and, and living your life with Jesus, he's offering it to you right now. This is not an old test, text about what, can, what happened back then. He can do the transformation right now in your life. 
No matter what you've been through, what you've done in this past, in this past few years or months or weeks or yesterday, he can transform you today. He can start the process of living that out. Now, this might not happen in a week. Be, be prepared to walk it out because like in, 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 with Paul, I wonder how much shame Paul had over these 30 years before that, right? Because think about it. He was there. He was the one who was really chasing Christians anyways. But to be able to be transformed and to start living out and helping people to come to this point in Jerusalem where at the same city, the same mob, the same oppression, he was able to really be redeemed in that process. Now let's ask, what identity do you use to operate out of? What's your motive? Do you operate out of your achieved identity, of what you've achieved for yourself, how you've positioned yourself in people's reputation or in your workplace, or do you operate out of the received identity? Really think about your choices. What do you, do? What do you base your decisions on? Is it what you want or what Christ is building in you, what he's forming in you that comes to life? As we, as we wrap up, I want to leave you guys with one more quote. Uh, we're going to read from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. This is what he says. If we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? Right? This is our question. If I really do this today, where is it going to lead me? How is it going to work? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him, for only knows the, he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do, not, we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. Discipleship in German, in the original text, is Nachfolge, which I think is sometimes overcomplicated over here. Nachfolge basically means you just follow after somebody. Discipleship, I feel like sometimes becomes this term of process and systems. But think about if you're in a jungle and somebody ahead of you clears the path, and you go right behind them because the, the path is cleared. That's what uh, discipleship means. You follow right after whoever is leading you. You take one step after another right behind that person. And Didi Bonhoeffer is saying that you can have joy in that. Now, the joy might not look like the joy that the world sees it. Paul didn't have, the world wouldn't say Paul had a joyful time right now. But I believe in that moment, Paul had the most joy because he was the closest to the eternal joy to be like Jesus in that very moment. And we can have access to the same joy. When we face trials, when we face hard times, which we will, if we have Jesus and we follow after Jesus' ways, we can have eternal joy. If it's here on earth, but especially in heaven. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as you know, is a predominant figure in the re resistance of the German church against the Hitler regime. And uh, um, he was accused of being part of a, uh, trying to, like, to do a revolution against Hitler. So he was arrested and he was in prison for two years before being executed on one of the last days of the Hitler regime. On Sunday, April the 8th, 1945, he hosted a small worship setting in prison. They had a church in prison. Uh, he did a little worship time. He did a little word. He had the fellowship afterwards. And then two guards came in, carried him away, and the next day he was hung. The quote we just read is part of his writings that he wrote while in prison. So we see this theme from Jesus from Paul, from even D.G. Bonhoeffer, of while we're in trials, while we're imprisoned, while, we don't, like, while we're caged in captive processes, we can still have joy. We can still point people to Jesus. And even though we go through hard times and trials, there is hope, there is joy that we can access through Jesus Christ in our lives.
So to wrap up our first, process, our first thought in the beginning, but if we are with Jesus and become like Jesus, then we can go out and do what Jesus would do. It's available to us today. It's available to you. Wherever you are in the process, you might say, I, I know Paul. I'm more on the Saul side right now. He's there for you. The invitation is for you to take today to accept his salvation, to accept his grace, and become part of this community and start let the Holy Spirit transform you every day from here on out. Maybe you're on the Paul side and you're, you're doing the right things already to be strengthened today in what he's doing in you. So I want to ask you, as we start the response process, I want to get the, the worship team up here as we're preparing this last piece of it. I want to ask you the same two questions that we always ask, right? God, what are you saying to me? That's the first question. The second question is, what do you want me to do about it? Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church. Thank you.